Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, James shares his path from the nonprofit world and the Peace Corps to working as an associate in private equity after getting his MBA from Duke. We learn what it was like living and working in Costa Rica for the Grameen Bank, as well as how he defied all odds to land a job in private equity, even after he didn't get a return offer from Molus after his summer associate role there. Enjoy. All right, James, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Yeah, man, happy to be here. It'd be great if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your bio. Yeah, man. I, uh, so I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. I uh, went to school up in Virginia at Washington and Lee. Uh, majored in accounting and business administration for the theater minor. And uh, while I was there, I also wrestled. I was on the varsity wrestling team for a couple of years. Um, but uh, while I was there, I had that like distinct urge to get what I was learning out of the classroom. So started a little company over in Nairobi. Uh, we were making hoodies with men and women living in the slums out there and sending them over to the U.S. That led me to a fellowship from what's called the Princeton Alumni Corps. Took me up to D.C. I worked for a nonprofit doing like federal contracting work where we staffed people with disabilities on the contracts. Um, but I was, I was still working on the, the hoodie gig over in Africa and wanted to be closer to it and be on the ground. And so uh, the Peace Corps seemed like a really great way to get there. So I applied, got accepted, went to Costa Rica for a couple of years, worked for a microfinance bank down there called Grameen and then taught entrepreneurship classes in high school and a lot of other weird stuff. Uh, on the way back to the U.S., decided I wanted to scale the impact I was having on the world, and business school seemed like a way to do it. So went to Fuqua at Duke, which was close to home. They have an awesome impact investing program. Uh, uh, eventually wanted to get to like money management and to the buy side, and so uh, doing an investment banking internship seemed like the right way to get there. Interned at Molus, had an awesome experience, loved the city. And, uh, and then second year of business school set to re-recruiting for private equity down in the Southeast and ended up at Target Hunter, which is a restaurant focused private equity firm. I've uh, been here for about a year and a half now. Cool. Awesome. Thanks for the, thanks for the rundown. So let's start all the way back at undergrad. Yeah. Um, or even before, like, was you were an accounting major? Was a was finance ever or private equity? Did you even know what it was back then? Was it on the radar? 
Yeah, so Washington and Lee has kind of a, a weird uh, set of majors, and so there is no finance major. You you basically have to do this like combined major of business and accounting, mm-hmm. they call it like with special attainments in commerce or something funky like that. And that's like that's the finance track. And so lots of buddies were going into banking. I just I don't know. I honestly didn't have an interest in it back then. Uh, I don't know. It just it wasn't even on the radar for me. And so what were you doing like in your like your years, like your summers off, like were there internships? What was kind of driving you towards this nonprofit stuff? Yeah, sure. So I, the, what actually really drove me most towards the nonprofit work was I did a study abroad in Spain and I was basically as close to Africa as I was going to get. And I had cooked up this idea. I had very much had an entrepreneurial spirit. I grew up in a family business. My family actually owns restaurants. And so I, um, I I was close and I had this idea and I was like, I don't ever want to work for anyone. I'm going to go start my own deal and save the world, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Very, uh, a good dreamer. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, the restaurant business your family you grew up in and did you do a lot of work in that growing up? Yeah, man. We, um, yeah, there, so it's like, what kind uh, of restaurants and all that? family owned uh it's like 15 of them it's called lizard's thicket and they're all in like the middle part of south carolina it's country cooking breakfast lunch and dinner seven days a week uh you know it's like a a really good hearty meal for a pretty good price um but it's man growing up in that business teaches you so much because it's just it's hard work um no one gives you anything and so to have grown up with uh, with my dad and my uncles running that and working hard and getting to get in there. And they never let me like be a, a server or like a waiter. I was always washing dishes and busting tables, but uh, it, it teaches you the value of a dollar. Sure does. Sure does. Cool. That's good. Um, so you're kind of growing up in that entrepreneurial household. So you kind of, it was in the DNA sounds like a little bit. Um, so as you're, you're going to college, your parents like pushing you to finance or are you just thinking oh this is a good thing to have to potentially get a like a steady job yeah like i guess what was was, like the thought process of time okay why accounting you know maybe you had a bent towards theater why didn't you just become a full-on theater major yeah so when it when it came to college my parents have always been super supportive they would have let me do anything i wanted to um but when i was like getting getting to the age where you're supposed to be applying to college they were kind of they didn't go to college so they were kind of like so are you going to go to college? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I, everyone else is doing it. <laughs> and, uh, and when I got there, accounting and, the, and finance seemed like the thing that it, it, it's just, it can't come naturally to you. You have to learn it. Like someone mm-hmm. has to teach that to you. And so I felt like if I don't have someone sit me down and get this into my head, like I'm never going to learn it. It's not just going to be something that I pick up along the way. Got it. So that was the idea. Okay. So uh, were you thinking like maybe you work for a big four or something like that? Or it was just, I'm just going to get these skills and we'll see where it takes. Get the skills. See okay. where it takes. I was, it. Honestly, I just thought I was going to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> so you're going towards graduation and what was the thought process? What was the next step? Even if it was only, even if you weren't thinking that far ahead, even if it was like three <laughs> months ahead or a month ahead, what were you thinking as you approached graduation? Yeah. So it was like, I, I had, I had started the little company and as I'm getting close to graduation, I'm thinking like, man, this is not going to make enough money to support my life. I need to get a job. 
And this is this is the company you're talking about is the one in Africa, the the hoodies. Right. Is, so t- explain a little bit more to listeners what you're actually doing and how you even got this going. Yeah, yeah. So it's called that's an interesting. It's an interesting story. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, so it's called Udu. Someone had brought me a gift from Africa, and it was this like beautifully made piece of clothing out of very traditional African fabric. And so. I'm over in Spain. I book a flight to Kenya. I pop down there, literally don't know a soul. I had met a man in the US who was like on the board for Feed the Children, big nonprofit. And so I had emailed him and asked for a tour of their facilities in Kenya because I knew they had a big facility there. So I get there, I get on the ground. I'm literally hit the streets, walking around, talking to people, trying to find a tailor, like someone who can sew together some clothing for me and you're uh, just speaking to, english and just saying yeah. hey give me you guys know where a tailor is like <laughs> yeah. you're like what are you signing or like <laughs> <laughs> they say so they most most which honestly like facts about africans like most people in speak multiple languages and yeah. so english got me by yeah um, and most of the villages that are in the slums around nairobi each village has their own tailor so someone got me in touch with a tailor. I went to the tailor's house, um, a guy named George, and George started putting together some samples for me. And so I take, on the last day that I'm there, I take one of the samples to feed the children. I give this tour of their facilities and like the country director finally like at the end of it sits me down in her office. She's like, so like, what do you want? Like, why are you here? I was like, well, I've got this idea. I think that if the mothers of the children that you're, feeding uh they're all looking for income generating activities right and i was like well i think i've got an income generating activity and so if they can make these hoodies we'll train them we'll teach them how to sew we'll you know we'll build the skills up and then if they can make them i'll buy them all and they were like all right sounds great so we set to work we started making hoodies and they'd send them over to the u.s and i was living in dc at the time and so were you selling these like how are you selling these in the u.s yeah, I got connected. I actually got connected with an awesome group of young guys that were at Howard. And they, uh, they like loved it. They felt like, a, I'd be, you know, it was like a cultural connection for them. And they were all excited about it. And so I was like, slanging hoodies on the side with these guys. And they were awesome. And they were, we were doing photo shoots. And it was cool, man. It was like, how many, did you, how many do you think you sold after like in the in the full time you were running? A couple hundred? Oh. It's probably like if I sold, yeah, like definitely in the hundreds, not in the thousands. Okay, <laughs> yeah. still it's a lot of hoodies. Yeah, it was good, man. It was it was an awesome learning experience. Cool. So you so you're doing that. Um, it's not paying the bills because you're you know I assume you're making what like thirty bucks a hoodie or something profit or something like that. <laughs> something like that. Um so what's what's the what's the plan? Were you did you move back home after graduation? What was the what were you doing? Or were you just floating? Yeah, yeah. So I got I got uh there's an incredible center at Washington Lee. It's called their poverty center. And so the uh there's a fellowship through there that's connected to the Princeton Alumni Corps. And so like at the time it was like Princeton, what's Chicago. The, what's the Princeton Alumni Corps? Can you explain what that is? Yeah. So there's like a there's a network of alumni that basically have connections in some of the major cities, right? So mm-hmm. it's like New York, Chicago, and DC, maybe like Houston as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're just they have connections with these nonprofits that need like 
need young people to come in with good energy and be helpful cool. and otherwise like wouldn't be able to recruit them. Right. And so once you get accepted into the fellowship, you're in this like pool of kids from a handful of schools. And then those kids go and interview at all the different partner companies. And so I, I got one of them. Luckily, this was like the last month of school. And I, I had, I was like, all right, awesome. I've got a job. I got something to do. Making like 30 grand a year. Okay. All good. Uh, Pays the bills. Yeah. Oh man. It was, it was perfect. It's just and what so I needed. Tell me what you did with, with, uh, with that company. What was the company specifically and how did you help? Yeah, it was called Linden Resources, and they're 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 gone now. They've since merged with a with a larger nonprofit, but they had like ten federal contracts. They were getting like a million dollars in revenue a year. Did not rely on donations, so all of their income was coming from uh, federal contracting. And then they would staff those contracts uh, with people with disabilities, and so they were able to use a part of the law that allows a nonprofit to pay people for their productivity rather than by the hour. So someone who's, for example, severely physically handicapped and can only stuff one envelope an hour, mm-hmm. right? Like you can pay them an appropriate wage uh, in a fulfillment center so that they uh, have a meaningful career and something to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was doing so, business Meaning you're, been, you're basically allowed to pay them a below minimum wage because their mm-hmm. productivity is so much lower, but it at least yep. gives them some sense of purpose and doing something. Exactly. Like instead of being in a full-time care facility, they have a job to go to. Cool. Um, Yeah, it was very cool. So you did that for, it looks like a couple of years, if I'm looking at this right. A couple of years. And then, uh, yeah. And then the Costa Rica came calling. Costa Rica. Yeah. So tell me how you even thought of Costa Rica and specifically (laughs) East Corps, like how did, so you were already kind of into this nonprofit bent. Yeah. It's not too surprising that you went Peace Corps, but tell me about why Costa Rica, how that whole process worked out in terms of um, what you were thinking of in terms of um, the impact you wanted to have, or is it just more like, hey, let's go on an adventure? Yeah, man, it's a, it's a little bit of both. I'd had a taste of it in Africa, like being there on the ground for some short periods of time. And I was like, I want to go be there full time. And any Peace Corps volunteer will tell you that it often starts out as a very selfless endeavor. You think like, hey, I'm going to go serve and it's going to be awesome. And I'm going to you know, help do my little part. Uh, and, and the Peace Corps, man, it, it becomes a very, not selfish, but self-indulgent endeavor because you realize at the end of it that you're walking away with so much more than you're leaving behind. Um, you do have an impact on the people in your community and the people around you while you're there. Um, but, but the way that it changes you and your kind of worldview is really the I mean, it's just something really powerful. Talk to me about that. How did it change your worldview? <laughs> yeah, man. Well, you know, there's a lot of things you take for granted in life. Um, for me, for example, financial security was something that I just, I don't know, I just kind of assumed I had. And then you go down there and you realize that it's just not, you realize how important it is and that it's something you have to work for and it's something you never want to lose. You, you also realize and this is some of it specific to my Costa Rica experience, but the, the family unit is just so important there. And keeping the people who love you close uh, and being around them is just such a powerful thing. And it's what makes us stronger and, and makes us who we are. Uh, and so a lot of those are the, a lot of that influenced what I did uh, afterwards. Um, but um, 
kind of while I was there, the the main focus of my work was with Ramin Bank. But tell me yeah. how you even decided Costa Rica. Like what and, oh, yeah. and why Peace Corps? Like why why suddenly, you know, you've already done a lot of stuff. You've already done a lot of nonprofit work. Why yeah. double down and do it again? I mean, it sounds yeah. like you were enjoying it. You wanted to get back onto the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Out, so out that, of the US. Yeah. I think and I you know, I was a little fed up with like DC culture. Uh, for anyone who's ever lived there, it's like it's a very social culture. It's really fun, mm-hmm. great place to be after college. But there's a lot of like uh you know, climbing the ladder. And I just, I don't know, I wanted out. I wanted rat to race, like a, a lot of rat race stuff. A lot of rat yeah. race, right? And so I just, I needed to go like reset. And then you don't actually get to pick where you go. This was the first, I was the first like group, one of the first groups of people who actually got to even put a preference. And my like preferences for were like Africa, Eastern Europe, and Asia. And, and you know, Costa Rica, think, <laughs> they gave me Costa Rica, which did you is speak Spanish. Did you speak Spanish before going like a very, very little bit? Solo uh, un poquito, okay. <laughs> I, might have, I might have embellished a little bit on my application about how much I spent, but and that's why they me. sent you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you ended up in Costa Rica, a beautiful country. Um, and so they fly you in and you're going where, like how much guidance mm-hmm. do they give you? I think people who are interested in this, like, or they assign you to a specific home, a specific location to live. And what's yeah. it like? Because it sounds like from what you told me earlier in our call yesterday that it was like you arrived there and you saw this sign and it's like you just did what you had to do. Yeah. Well, there's a little there's a little bit more before that. So what what happens is they fly you all into the capital. It's like 20 of us. We met for the first time in Houston. They fly us all down together. We're in San Jose, the capital. They put, uh, we, and then it's it's three months of training. And so what they do is they put like little clusters of you in different towns. So like four of us lived in a little town called San Luis de Heredia. Mm-hmm. And we would three days a week, we would have literally 10 hour days of nothing but spoken Spanish classes. Like it wasn't about writing. It wasn't about doing academic papers. It was like, you got to talk, you got to be in the streets and having these cultural experiences and being very uncomfortable. <laughs> so. And then the other two days a week were like, were long, long days of essentially what was classroom time where you're learning safety and you're learning different skills and learning about different projects people have done and all the different resources you have. And so all that time, that three months, everyone's in the capital together. You have no idea where you'll be when it's over. And then when there's Tell me about those those intense kind of uh, speech that speech days where you're forced to go out and talk with people for 10 hours at a time. Were you really talking to people for that long? And um, this is my first question. The second question is, did you, did people naturally gravitate back to your kind of co co peace Corps people to speak some English? So you wouldn't like your oh brain God. wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, your, your peace Corps friends become like your security blanket, right? Even, yeah. Even later on when you're out in service, you're like calling them and because you can't call home, man. People at home don't understand the the different things you're going through down there so you're you're really leaning on your people but the the 10 hour day the 10 12 like long days of speaking spanish you would start off in a classroom usually and so with our my neighborhood of people they they separated us out by like who was really good at spanish who was okay and who didn't really know much and so i was in like the middle class and uh we we would we had a professor who was teaching us a lot throughout the day, forcing us to have conversations, giving us homework, et cetera. And then like at some point he'd be like, All right, everyone leave. 
and like go find people on the streets and go have these conversations with them, like ask them these questions. Uh, so those were some of the days, other days they would actually take you to like cultural events that like Latin culture, there's like tons of festivals always, um, a lot of religious festivals. And so we'd go out and just have to, I mean, you fumble through it, man. Like you think you do you feel like your Spanish got a lot better in that little time frame? Oh yeah. Amazing. Right. They had to, they literally, they wouldn't let you go to your like final site if you, if you didn't have it. So it got good enough to get me there. And then obviously over the next year and a half or so it got, it got really good. good. (laughs) That's awesome. So, okay. So your, your kind of the destination is decided. And so now you're alone. Yes, that's right. And like, they try to cluster you regionally so that like there were a few other volunteers within like an hour of me. Okay. And, um, but yeah, they, they set you up with a family. You have a host family who you're supposed to, you have to live with your host family for the first like three or six months. And then you're allowed to move out and get like a, get your own place basically. Okay. Um, are, are they paying you? Is the Peace Corps mm-hmm. paying you? And how much are they paying you? I want to say it equated to like $300 a month. Okay. Um, which obviously doesn't sound like a lot. Down there, it's you not, can make it, make it stretch. Yeah. It's still not a lot down there. No. Honestly, <laughs> um, the Kind of the point is that you're not vacationing or you don't have any. Uh, Disposable like, income. No. For, yeah. Right. You're, you're just, you're kind of living with the people and like the people. Um, yep. And you're just paying for food. And yeah, going back to your pay, house, you're paying rent and you're paying food. So you pay rent to your host family. Um, how much? How I, much was that? Hundred bucks? I don't. I really don't remember. It's yeah, probably, I'm just it's probably like a hundred bucks, like like a third of your pay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, that sounds right. But I I uh, I started out with this one family, and I actually had a cool setup because they had like a little shack behind the house mm-hmm. that was my bedroom, nice. or it was like my little space. And so there was like busted out windows with bars on them. And it was like literally just like wood paneling. So like I could see outside, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, they were just there. I had like a, I had a pipe coming out of the ceiling in the back. They just shot out freezing cold water. And that was my bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh uh, gosh. But uh, I remember specifically. Any sh- so no real shower there no yeah no real shower there Uh, and it's funny like you just i it was a hundred degrees outside and i just never got used to the cold showers yeah i I just i don't know i like still didn't like it all the way through i remember like i had a bat in my house at one point and i went to war with this bat i was like launching a broom across the room to like try and scare the bat out oh my god yeah so, so you're, you're kind of down there, you're getting, your Spanish is getting better. And what are you doing day to day? So you, you tell me a little bit about Grameen and then what you did with them. Yeah. Well, so first of all, they, the Peace Corps does hook you up with like a partner. Got it. Right. And so there was a teacher at the local high school who was supposed to be like my partner and I was going to spend time in the school. And I did. And that blossomed into an awesome uh, entrepreneurship program. I had two teams of kids that came up with business ideas. We went into the capital, the like national competition. Cool. Um, one of them ended up getting the scholarship. So it was that. So that was an awesome piece of this. But then the the part that I kind of did on my own was I just read Muhammad Yunus's book and 
I was sitting there. I, I was like, it must have been the first week, and I was walking down the street, and literally, like, the sign for Grameen Bank was in front of me, and I was like, no way, man! Like, this is too cool. So I walked in, like, introduced myself in poor broken Spanish, and was like, I'm here to help. Like, I'll do anything, and I'll work for free. And they were like, oh, well, great. Come with us. And so they would, uh, they had this, they had their little office. There's a couple of guys and they lent money to women in small towns outside of kind of the bigger town where I was yeah, living. Microfinance. You want to explain real quick what that is to people who don't know? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's literally just lending very small sums of money to entrepreneurs uh, that are trying to get their businesses off the ground. Like $50, $100, $1,000. Like, yeah, like literally hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then, you know, they structured them in a way where it's like uh, they're higher interest rates than you would expect, actually. Um, but they're, they're they're grouped, right? They they try to pair um, like five women together. Is that right? Or group them so that there's kind of social pressure. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it's like like five women will sign up for uh, for loans together and then they are all responsible for each other's loans. And there's a bunch of interesting rules like they can't be family members it's got they all have to live in the same community um and so yeah that's kind of like that's how they secure their loans um but then they also tried to really be helpful and like provide consulting services and what that was like where i came in it was like great we'll bring you you'll help people and so we would do little money management classes and like basic accounting workshops uh it, it, sometimes I got to like get really involved with some businesses like and you would you'd say hey I know that you have three different businesses going on but once you separate them out you realize like one of them's losing money and so like it was a really tough concept to be like if you work less hard you'll make more money right <laughs> it's like just you just gotta stop doing that how doing this one yeah <laughs> right yeah um, yeah that's interesting. Yeah, because they're not looking at the numbers there necessarily, not all of them. Right. Exactly. They never put them on paper and like, yeah, yeah, you know, making like little uh, financial statements and stuff. Is is cool, man. That's awesome. So you're there for in the program. Is it typically a year, two year program, or how does it work? Two years. So it's typically twenty seven months. Um, I actually had to. I got what's called medically separated. Mm -hmm. I had to have like a procedure done on my back. And you can only like leave for a certain amount of time before they're like, you can't come back. Okay. I had to stay away longer. And so didn't get to quite finish out, which is. We did almost a year, a year and a half or so. So that's a pretty good run. Yeah. Man. So you come back and then what's, what's your thought process? You're thinking, I'm going to go do this again. Or you're thinking, okay, that's enough with the bad in my, in my little shanty shack. <laughs> in the no, cold showers. Was, uh... What was your, what was your thought process of what, what to do next? And why did it lead you to an MBA? Yeah, man. So, well, like while you're down there, part of what you realize is that like just by being, you're having an impact on the world around you and on the people around you. Mm -hmm. And so as I thought about coming back to the U.S., I was like, well, look, I, this has been really awesome. I have had a small effect on a very small subset of people in this world. I would like to have a bigger impact, right? I'd like to find some scale to that impact I'm having. Uh, and so I looked at programs all around the country. I thought MBAs of all the master's degrees, right? You also like, I needed a catalyst. It's hard to go key score to like, just go get a job. And so uh, school seemed like a good catalyst. An MBA seemed like the best program for me. 
and what I wanted to be doing. And so um, looked all around the country, wanted to be close to home. Duke was right there, about as close as I could get. And Kathy Clark runs the best impact investing program in the country down there. And so I basically, I was only going to apply to Duke, actually. Some people convinced me to apply to a couple other places, but. Are there any other impact, good impact investing um, MBA program? It'd be good to list those out if you know, given that you've done the research. Yeah, ones that I was particularly interested in were Northwestern and Stanford. Mm -hmm. Yale has a really good one too. Uh, But like, honestly, any big school that has the resources, I think you can find your path. It's just, it's, it's evolving all the time, but um, Duke was just like the clear, like I could say Harvard has a good one too. Like of course, Harvard has a decent impact investing program, but Duke really felt like the, they were like the pioneers. Got it. To me. Okay. So you're, you're kind of studying for the GMAT at this point or what's the. Oh yeah. I did the GMAT in Costa Rica. Oh, you did. Okay. Oh, you kind of, yeah. you were already thinking about this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So this was like kind of part of the, you know, I was like, I'll apply. Technically, like what would have happened is right when I was ending my 27 months would have been the start of business school. And so tell and me, so, tell me specifically. Um, so you, you said you hurt your back. Would you, did you hurt your back down there or you just yeah. needed some surgery? It was like an old injury that got really bad. Down got there. it. Okay. No slip disc or something. Yeah. Not good. <laughs> okay. So you, you basically um, kind of had a path of, okay, MBA, I want to, do some sort of impact investing? Were you thinking investment banking, private equity? What were you, what were you thinking? Honestly, the, well, the, the thought was, okay, like the biggest issue that entrepreneurs face is access to capital. Mm -hmm. So I need to get to a place in my life where people with a lot of money will trust me to manage their money. Like that was pretty much like the very simple thought behind it. Right. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, how do I get there? Do I go? be a consultant? Do I do go be a banker? And I got convinced that, uh, you know, eventually private equity was the way to go work for someone else who manages someone else's money. How do I get there? The best next step felt like go do an investment banking internship. Okay. So, yeah. So tell me about that. So you get to, uh, you know, you do okay on the GMAT. I assume you have a really good story. I'm sure from your experiences, your essays probably wrote themselves. <laughs> and then um, from there, you get into you get into Duke. I assume you're super excited. Yeah, man, I was thrilled. That yeah. was like the dream. Yeah, and so then you're you're enrolling, and then tell me what it was like because you don't really have any of this technical. I mean, you have some accounting background, but like it's a whole <laughs> other beast interviewing for associate positions at you know, like a molus. So tell me what that was like kind of coming in and it hits fast. Like you get into, you get on Mm -hmm. a campus and then recruiting happens within like a month. Right. So tell me a little bit about that whole process, what it was like coming from your specific background and how you survived. Yeah, no. So this was another piece of Duke's culture that was really appealing to me. It's like known for being very collegial. People are very supportive and I knew I was going to need it. Right. And so I ended up making incredible friends and just having a really tight knit group of people who are all in this investment banking recruiting process with me. And look, man, like there's no secret to it. Like you just got to study. You just got to learn it. Right. And so we had late nights. We skipped winter break. We like spent (laughs) spent time in our team rooms or whatever, studying, doing, casing each other. And like that's I mean, man, there's just no secret sauce. Like. 
yeah, like the story helps and making sure you craft it in such a way that is convincing and says like, hey, look, I really want to do this and I'm going to be here for the long term uh, makes, you know, helps and you have to get good at that as part of the practice. And um, how many, but, how many rounds did you, or how many banks did you get like first round interviews with? And then from there, how did you, um, how did you progress? Was it like you had several offers for summer internships or you had like just one? Tell me how that progressed. Yeah, I think I think I had like seven or eight uh, interviews. Pretty good. Yeah, like, yeah, it was good. I remember thinking I had done well, right? Like I got most of the the U.S. bulge bracket banks, and then I Mollus was the only like boutique, I think. But it was like Goldman, Morgan Stanley, Bamel, Barclays. And then how did you do in those first rounds? And how many did you like? I, I, I like talking numbers, like in specifics, yeah. like yeah. in terms of conversions to give people an idea of like, oh sure. man, this is really hard. Or, oh wow, he did something really, he did really yeah. well. Or, oh yeah. man, he barely got in by the skin of his teeth. It was, for right. me, that's what it was. It was me when I was a, applying as an analyst at undergrad, like I barely got in. It was, yeah. oh, it was oh one, oh two, you know, right after 9 11. Oh, yeah. it, it was crazy. So, and it was like, people were barely hiring and I got in like the last interview last second. So I like giving people a little perspective. Like I had to interview like 30 times to get that <laughs> yeah. one offer, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that, like one nice thing about the MBA programs is they make it really easy for you. Like yeah. do they all came to campus and yeah, did on our campus. first round interviews on campus. So it was like a two day period where I had like, you know, whatever, eight interviews. Uh, you, like you probably get really days. good at telling your story too. Oh man. Oh, you get so good at it. You can tell it in your sleep. Um, but uh, I, I got two offers after the first rounds from Bamel and Barclays. Oh, it's just first round and offer for internship? That's it? They were kind of like, I did multiple first round interviews, like in those days, like I got like, it. Two or three, like, it's hard. Yeah. But like, it's kind of like all, it felt like all one round to me. Yeah. 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 Um, and then I had super days at Mullis and Goldman. And so um, it was like, I remember it was like, it was a. Wait, so you got, you got internships offers directly from on-campus interviews mm-hmm. yep. at Bamel and Mullis or Bamel and. Barclays. 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 Oh, okay. So those kind of went first, but then you had super days at Goldman and Mullis on site. Yeah. Like where I had to go up to, and like everyone was just different in how they did it. Okay. Um, so tell me about those super days a little bit. Yeah, man. It was the, it was like, I, can't, it, I guess what it was, the year was this, 2018? There was the really, really bad winter storm. They had like shut down the East Coast. And I remember, I remember talking to the HR lady at Goldman. I was like, hey, like, are, are we still doing this? Like, there's no way to get there. And she's like, oh, yeah, like, it'd be great if you could make it. And I was like, all right, here we go. So I, like, I took a plane to DC and got on a train through the night, like just literally traveled through the night uh, to get up there on a Friday morning and like literally pulled in to the, into the city at like 9 a.m. Or like it was probably like 8.50 for my 9 a.m. super day. And then I think it was... Like not having four, slept, not having slept. Oh, like not good sleep anyways. And it was like four rounds of uh, two people at a time for, I don't, I don't know if it was like 30 minutes each. Um, but so, yeah. And like, I thought that one went so well. I was like, man, I just crushed that. This is great. And then I went to Mollus and I, theirs was a little different. It was three different hour long interviews with 
uh, two senior people and then one junior person did like a technical case interview mm -hmm. and the case interview went so poorly. And I was like, that guy didn't like me. Like, this is bad. Like, there is no chance that I got this offer. Lo and behold, I got the Mullis <laughs> offer and you I did not get the Goldman <laughs> offer. <laughs> I, uh, Goes to show you don't give up. And even if you think you're bombing, don't give up. That's right, man. Just keep rolling with it. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, part of that too is like pressure testing, right? Like, are you, can you keep it rolling if someone's, you know, not happy with you? Um, but so then I had the Mullis, Barclays and Bamwell offers and Honestly, the, the Molus opportunity was so unique relative to everything else I had been interviewing for. And it felt like it was the only way that I was really going to get M&A experience. You get into the bulge brackets, you're a Peace Corps guy. They put you in a coverage group. I was like, there's no way that I'm going to get like real technical M&A experience. You feel like because you didn't have that pre-MBA, it was like just going to by default you're going to get slotted into like an ECM group or DCM group or whatever. That was like, that was my fear. Plus I was like, in the back of my mind, I was like, I don't know if I want to do investment banking forever. I want to get over to the Y side. I need to go like prove that I can hang in what is widely considered one of the toughest cultures. Right. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> Peace Corps to this. I mean, <laughs> I just had to say, wow. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. yeah, so tell me a little bit about uh, what that summer was like. And I assume it was long hours, especially for you. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell me how you handled that and, and kind of what your, you know, you moved up to New York. Yep. But tell me where you lived. What, what was the lifestyle like? I assume you're almost sleeping at the office if, at the beginning. But like, tell me, tell me what was going on in terms of how you handled all that. Yeah, I actually, so I got really lucky with my roommate. I lived in West Village on 11th and 7th with a guy who was at Columbia and also interning at Mullis. Oh, awesome. Like totally random, hit a guy up on one of those lists where people post rooms for rent and ended up that my roommate was just a great guy. We were like married for the summer. We like <laughs> rode to work together. Came home, you know what I mean? Um, Hilarious. But the people I met, like the, yes, it was long hours. Like, yes, it's, it is everything that they tell you it will be. Um, but it was also so much fun to be in it with those other people in my internship class. Like they are just great guys and girls. And we had a lot of fun together. Cause you, you know, you sneak in a little bit of fun here and there, and then they yeah. schedule in a little bit of fun for you. Um, you just, you really feel like you're in it, man. You're like in the city, like doing it, being a banker. Like, this is awesome. This is real. You know? <laughs> Do you feel like you could add any value or like maybe near the end of your internship, you were like adding some value? Uh, I, I do. So I do believe that most of the value that an MBA, so like it, coming up in that world of finance, right? Like it's this very hierarchical, very like execution oriented. And as an MBA, I think I saw at least a lot of my, uh, like cohort mates, like adding value uh, from like a, you know, kind of like a project management standpoint and dealing with people and like terms of like thinking through presentations. Like, I think those are the places where the MBA adds more value because the, you gotta, I know some of the analysts at Molus are insanely talented and really oh, good. So they can like run circles around you guys modeling yeah. wise. So like yeah. there's that, there's that weird yeah. dynamic that often happens. So Yes. The how did you deal with? Brilliant. Yeah. So how did you deal with that? Are you just kind of like, hey, you teach me? <laughs> yeah. Like seriously, like that was the only way to do it is be like, 
hey, like, please, I'm ignorant. You are smarter than me. Please teach me. Yeah. Like, I, like you have to humble yourself. If you come in there thinking you know what you're doing, like, you don't, and you're wrong. <laughs> cool. So, sounds like it went well. Um, near the end, did you get an offer? Did they know? Did they, did you think you were going to get an offer? What was the the whole dynamic there? Yeah. So I had, I, while I did love the experience, I had also, I had met who is now my wife before the summer and I, and she was in the South and I was like, I got to get back to the South. Like I can't, I can't do this. Um, and I think I was probably a little too open about that. And so I did not end up getting the offer. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, Oh man, well, I kind of thought they'd at least like give me the offer so I could go <laughs> stop it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> But I didn't, and so I, I kind of like toyed with the idea of like, oh damn, do I need to like re-recruit and get another offer in New York so I can go shop that? Like I don't, eventually I just kind of said, you know what, like I just got to focus on what I really want to do. And so I spent my entire second year and like hit it hard immediately when I got back to school, basically like on a road show around North and South Carolina and some Georgia like talking to every single private equity, venture capital, mes debt, like whatever, anything even close uh, in the Southeast. And so anything like, close to principal investing. Exactly. And so um, you, but how did you even, there's not that many. No. So well, how did you even like, is it like a group of 30 people? Like, what are you talking <laughs> about here? I mean, yeah, like there's, I mean, maybe, right? Like, yeah, like 30 sounds right. But like you start networking and you basically just like ping pong around from person to person. Someone introduced you to the next group um, and kept like, kept studying too, which was really important. Like I had to like keep the technical skills sharp and get sharper. Um but then, yeah, like I just, I networked my butt off, man. Like I started in South Carolina. There's a lot of like one man shops down in Charleston where people have moved from the Northeast. And, now, and they're like, I can't afford an MBA. Yeah, right. They're like, a, they, and you're like, like no, 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 you don't understand. You're like, you don't understand. You can pay me a lot less than it. <laughs> yeah, you could. So there's, uh, Charlotte's a good hub. There's a lot in Charlotte. Yeah. A couple of meds that shops up in Winston-Salem and then. Uh, I tried, it was trying so hard to avoid Atlanta. I just personally didn't want to live in Atlanta, um, okay. but, but started venturing that way. Why, why just, uh, just culturally? You, I, you know, I've like spent, I grew up a few hours from Atlanta. I spent a lot of time going there. I have lots of friends that live there and I just, I don't know, man. It's just the, the traffic, like, I don't know how to explain it. Like there's something about Atlanta. It's like hard to move around. It's a very sure. disjointed city. Cool. Okay. So um, you're, you're basically thinking you want to be in one of the Carolinas or, um, mm-hmm. okay. So you're, you're networking and tell me how that, you know, through the whole second year, I mean, are you nervous at this point? You're kind of good coming up towards graduation. <laughs> you have no offer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you more. start to, yeah. you definitely start to get a little worried and you start like your, your, your scope gets broader and broader and you have to keep reminding yourself like, no, like go do what you want to do. Like, even if you have to wait, even if it's a few months after graduation, like hold on tight you're going to figure this out because it was easy to like, Oh, well like Deloitte has an M&A practice. That's like kind of close. Yeah. And then you start looking like I interviewed with like some, like, like a fund of funds in Minnesota, you know, like part of that is like, you got to keep, you just got to keep interviewing because you got to yeah. keep it sharp. And like, you learn. Tell me about the, the restrictions of where your now wife was looking then and what was she up to? And did that limit your geography? Yeah, so she was back home in Columbia, South Carolina, mm-hmm. um, working for her family business, and they have like an insurance business. And so okay. she, I knew she was 
I knew she wanted to be close to family. So I come from like this huge Italian family. I have 30 first cousins. Wow. And then she comes from the, and then obviously family business, everyone kind of like stayed local. And then she mm-hmm. is Greek and comes from like the big fat Greek family yeah, like, yeah. to a T. And so we both like, then like, look, it goes all the way back to the Peace Corps deal. It's like, what'd you learn? Like, man, like, I really want to be around my family. Mm-hmm. It's just really important to me. Like, they, those are the people I love. And so we just kind of knew, like, let's try and be within a few hours of there. She could work remotely. So very cool. That was the, that was, yeah, that was that restriction. Okay. So tell me. The in the networking. What was your pitch? What was your you're like, look, I went to the Peace Corps pre-MBA. I did all this nonprofit work. Then I had one internship in banking. I'm ready to be a private equity investor. Like, what was your pitch? Well, the so I, mean, the I know thing, these are smaller shops, but still, I mean Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the other thing that I did, which is really great, is there's a little uh like lower middle market investment bank in Chapel Hill. Uh, called Jacobs Capital, and so I like went to them and got a, a like year long internship. So this I was during like, your this is during your second year. Yeah, so like basically my whole second year, I was working with these guys, and they were helping introduce me to people. They like they knew what I was trying to do, um, and they were just really really great. And you you know again like you keep learning, and then keep showing that commitment. They're like, this is the world that I'm trying to be in. And at that point, you're actually getting a few deals on your resume. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. You're getting to do a few. Your resume looks a little more interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, And like, I guess you you try not to change your story too much, but you'd have to tailor it a little bit depending on who you're talking to. Give me an an example of that. Well, like, when so you're when you're talking, talking to MezDebt, you're like, yeah. I'm really fascinated in Mez and warrants. And <laughs> no, but tell me a little well, bit of how you did that. Well, like when, for example, if I'm talking to a group in South Carolina or North Carolina, I'm like, look, I'm a Carolina guy. Like I didn't want to be in New York anymore. Like it just wasn't a cultural fit for me. Like this is the kind of geographic place I want to be. But then when you take that one off one that was in New York or in Chicago, you had to be like, I loved New York. I just uh, you would have. You think you would have taken a Chicago or a New York offer if it, if it was the right private equity thing and just made it work? I, I think I would have. Um, I think you have to be flexible, right? Yeah. Like I knew that I was like the most long shot candidate ever, too. So yeah, it was like, look, man, if I can land one, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it. Yeah, you kind of had to. Okay, so tell me a little bit about how we, how would you have worked that out with your now wife? Just a lot of traveling, a lot of traveling for a year or two. Yeah, probably so. Um, I think that that's the only way we could have done it. I, Which I don't people know. People do that. People do that. But like, I think, especially if it's like for a one or two year yeah. thing, because it's, you know, that could launch, that would make it much easier theoretically to get a, a, a smaller middle market, lower middle market uh, PE job in the Carolinas. Right. Right. <laughs> so okay. So tell me how you made your break. Um, so you're you're interning now at this uh, Jacobs Capital, which is a kind of middle market M and A shop in in Raleigh. Yep. Um, but tell me a little bit about the the actual break of when who introduced you, how you actually got in touch with uh, your current job. Yeah. So I was t- I had I had gotten put in touch with actually a Mesdet shop that was up in Winston Salem, and they heard my story and were like, "Have you heard of Harget Hunter?" I was like, no. And they're like, well, we'll introduce you, but we think you should know them. Like, okay, great. And so I uh, 
I go and I, you know, I literally, I just go and sit down and have a, like had a couple of beers with the three guys, there's two partners and one junior. And so I met all three of them. We like sat around, like nothing technical, like totally just like they're good old boys. They like went to UNC and NC state and they were like, I was like, man, this is cool. Like, all right. I kind of like this. And, mm-hmm. you know, they had just, they were just about to close, do a first close of their first fund. Uh, so good I, I kinda, right. I was like, okay, I know that this is a thing. Like when the, when you get the fundraise, then you have to hire people. I was like, okay, timing seems right. Um, and then I literally like, I had drinks with them two more times. We had drinks three times. <laughs> And then I got an offer. <laughs> so like after all of the crazy technical interviews and like the hoops I had jumped through. And then I met these guys and they were like, we do restaurants. You grew up in a restaurant family. Like this seems to make sense. And I was like, awesome. But tell me about like those drinks. I mean, those drinks were really the interview, right? They were. They so were. tell me Absolutely. a little bit about how you conducted yourself. Yeah. Um, with a mind towards wanting not to be so tight where they're like, Oh, this guy's uh, too tight versus yeah. being too loose. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah and I, I, Cause I, I think remember. that's really tough line to walk when you're kind of in this interview setting, social setting. Right. And I remember thinking like, what do I wear? You know, how much, how much like, do you drink? What do you wear? Yeah. Right. Like I can't put a suit on. There's no way these guys wear suits. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, I put on like jeans and, uh, and a button up, but, I'm buttoned down and like, um and they were like kind of wearing the same thing and I was like okay good that's good that's like step number one and then yeah like I didn't I remember like yeah there's no reason to drink a bunch the last time I met with them and they actually gave me the offer I probably drank too much but (laughs) (laughs) being like like five beers ten beers (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely not ten beers not ten (laughs) (laughs) but uh I had also realized like they were like look it's it's restaurant focused man like these guys are like used to that setting like that setting like to talk about food like to eat and drink and like yeah and so it was uh it was very comfortable for me because it's how i grew up and so uh, what were you guys talking about specifically like talk about your time back uh, everything you did pre-mba were they curious yeah yeah and i mean i laid it all out for them, man i like i was very honest with them they were uh I was like, look, I, this is the kind of work I want to do. This is why I want to eventually, you know, I, and I talked to him about my long-term career, career progression. I was like, look, like I, you know, I'm, I want to be in this world. I want to have these skills. Like I'd like to be a partner here one day so that I can then be the kind of person who's making decisions about where this money's going and making sure it's going to, to good places. Right. Cool. Um, and they were, they were all on board with it. They, um, and like it, they there is always even in these very casual conversations like there are sneaky ways to like get little technical things in there right like like well how do you think like do you think your family business is something that we would invest in and i'm like i'm like oh well yeah i think you know da, 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 da. and they're like oh yeah no we'd never do that <laughs> I was like, oh, no sorry never mind then yeah and so you would talk to them like they were trying to see if you were thinking of like the financial thinking of it as investment did you expect that that's what i would thought they were going to do to you You'd be like well tell me about your family business and what are the margins and what's the yeah. growth trajectory and da, da, da. they did yeah like it wasn't like they weren't asking me for like specific number because like honestly i just i wouldn't know like i don't i'm not that involved with it but they 
from like a high level strategy perspective, like what growth looks like, why you grow, where you grow, and like what are the important things that they're looking at? Because we look at emerging restaurant concepts, and so they were like, you know, what are the markers of like a of like a successful growing restaurant chain? Yeah, so there was some of that. Very cool. Very cool. Well, wow. I, anything else before we call it? I mean, I think it's it's it sounds like you you have a good role there. Um, you guys closed your first fund, and then um, you're putting some of that money to work. I assume. Um, in terms of kind of next steps, it sounds like you're in a great seat. So I assume it's kind of stick it out and potentially ride ride off into the sunset. Ideally, if things go well. <laughs> um, yeah, ma'am. But yes. Yeah, so, what's the uh, Anything else in terms of you want to sh- share with the with the audience or with the younger listeners, people who are kind of coming from the nonprofit world or just otherwise people who are thinking of going to nonprofit, yeah. Um, yeah. or vice versa? I think would be welcome before we call it. Anything else? Yeah. Well, I would. The one thing I would say is that like going to a small shop like I did, um, the learning curve was really steep because there there's no like analyst below you. There's like so you end up have you own the model you do all the work and you run the deals, right? Like you have to do some of that higher level stuff. And like, while that was painful for a little while, like for sure, uh, like that's what you need. And that's what I, it's what I needed, right? Like, yeah, so, there's like, there's who, no short. Were you calling, were you calling on like former uh, Duke MBAs? Yes. Like what the hell am I doing here? Yes. Yes. You lean on your friends and you had a really great relationship with the other junior guy at the time. And so I like, leaned on him a lot. And like, there's just like, there's no shortcut, you know, there's no substitute for actually doing the work. And so now you hit your stride. Yeah, man. Now things cool. are good. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, listen, uh, James, really appreciate you taking the time to share your story. Um, I'm sure people will enjoy it. And it's, a, it's a little bit different from what we've done in the past. But I love it. Appreciate yeah, it. Happy to share. Cool, man. Talk soon. Thanks, Pat. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.